son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive, he lived and died to buy my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he all fear is gone because I know and I know yes I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lived. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride. And the joy he gives. Sing the song. But greater still, the Hamasheras this town can face uncertain days because he because he lives, I can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone. I know, and I know, yes, I know, He holds the future, and life is worth the living just because He lives. And then one day I'll cross the river I'll find life fine No war with peace And then as death Gives way to victory. I'll see the light of glory, and I know He reigns. Let's sing the song because He lives. I can face tomorrow. Our own because he lives, all fear is gone, because I know he holds the It is worth the living just 
multiple and diversified ways of making himself known, recognized, and felt uh, in the services of his people and on our coming together. It's great to enter a new year and with uh, happy to have on board those of you who have crossed over with us. And with, like what I said to one of our sisters this morning, I'm looking forward to living this new year out with her as a member of this church, and that goes for every last one of y'all. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Glad to see you, those of you who have been away from us for a while. We are thankful for your presence, and we are thankful for your struggles in dealing with the difficulties that tended to have hindered your being here and just the difficulties we run into in life itself. We are just thankful for the ability God gives us to struggle and survive and to move on and to press on that he is always at work in our lives and in our persons. Appreciate the song service by, led by Brother uh, Bradshaw as we do our other song leaders and we're thankful for the gifts that God has given them and in uh, allowing them to be available to express it and to share it uh, with the general church. And uh, we are thankful for God having called us together again and placed us in his service for the doing of his will. And I look forward to speaking to you at all times and the urgency that God has placed upon my heart and the discomforts that he gives me all the week and struggling and thinking about how I can best communicate his will. Uh, I want you to know that I'm in a constant state of painful tension uh, with the ministry of this church and uh, trying to be successful in helping you to realize what I think I realize and to feel the urgencies of God as he is calling upon us and incorporating us into his efforts in this city. I think uniquely, and I make no apologies about it, that God is specifically and especially calling upon us and is challenging us to do better than the average. Uh, we thank him for this building uh, and we thank him for the resources of you and what you possess and your ability to share it to uh, make the kingdom of God successful. And uh, God depends upon you and I am happy to be a part of that number upon whom he depends. We are thankful to have with us our youth worshipers this morning the, that normally are in youth services on the first and third Sundays, but uh, the leader of that group, Brother Dan Sims, uh, had decisioned uh, that all of us ought to be together on the first Sunday in the year, and uh, we appreciate that kind of thinking and uh, leadership. Now to my subject of opportunities left unfulfilled. Opportunities 
that are left unfulfilled. And behind that, I want you to know that I think that God is specifically, uniquely calling on this church. Now, whether or not you buy into that is one thing. But it's my sincere belief and my justification for continuing to preach the word and to make the proclamations of Jesus Christ. If I feel that God has nothing unique for me to do, then I'm out of place. I think he has given birth to all of us. And I think for a greater portion, all of us are living beneath our privilege and what God calls upon us to do. And I think we're going to answer to God in the day of judgment uh, as well as in life itself about how we are handling, mishandling, and failing to handle the assignments that he has given us and how that we have mesmerized his will and uh, turned it into our own. And uh, God is a great and powerful God doing great things and I make no apologies about the fact that I think he's uniquely challenging me to challenge you. And uh, I made my pledge to God some four years ago that I would not leave this pulpit without making known the full counsel of God. And saying and doing everything I can in this church to situate it better to serve in the years to come. And uh, I was talking with one of my uh, assisting ministers yesterday and hesitated not to state to him that I realized that I am in the evening shadows of my ministry here. And I don't intend to leave a mess for the man who follows me. I intend to make it as perfect for him as God allows me to. And I, that I'll leave no stone unturned and no sermon not preached in order to accomplish that. Now, where did I get that model from? I get it from Samuel. He stood before Israel and I said how long he had served them. If there's any man has anything against me, come and make it known and I will restore it a hundredfold. So I tend to the best of my ability to depart these shores, uh, this one and the one into the grave. Uh, in the best shape possible. In the 16th chapter of his, last, of his first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul reminded the church of his intent, of his intent to follow through on his promise to visit with it and that he would come to them following his intended journey through Macedonia. And, and even perhaps spend the winter time with them in Corinth. Beautiful letter. He, however, however, he advised the church that the visit would not take place uh, without delay, as he did not wish to see them only in passing through, but to stay for a longer period. And he would be able to do that if the Lord so willed. And I think we need to learn to live more within that context, whatever God wills. And I find there to be a slackness in our feeling the presence of God. Uh, we in our fellowship are not particularly comfortable talking about God all the time. And his being the great supervisor of our lives. One writer has said, in him we live and move and have our continual being. David says, whether shall I go from thy presence? If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take wings of the morning and fly to the utmost, behold, thou shall thy, wing, thy hand guide me and lead me. The constant supervising, powerful presence of God. You've got to get into that position before you can ever really learn what the Lord is talking about. 
God is not someone that we can turn on and turn off, flip in and flip out. You're constantly there all the time. He further advised the believers in Corinth that he was going to remain in Ephesus until the Feast of Pentecost. Next statement. For a wide door of effective service had, op was, had opened to him and there are many adversaries. I advise you to take that passage under deep consideration. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 7 through 9. And the translation I gave you is from the Revised Standard Version. My lesson today Opportunities left unfulfilled allows me to speak to you at Simpson Street regarding the door of opportunity that stands open for us and for God, similar to the door that stood open for Paul at Ephesus. Yet that door threatened to be closed by adversaries. It's the fix that we're in, the tight we're always in, uh, that we're not loose kangaroos running around doing whatever we want to do and, and tipping God here and there. Paul saw an open door of opportunity in Ephesus. But along with that door of opportunity was a conclave of adversities something to hinder him accomplishing what God willed him to accomplish. The success of Jesus, the early disciples, and the first century church related to their abilities and insight to seize upon the opportunities that were before them. And I think this is a phase of, of, of our relationship with God that we tend to miss. The early church, Jesus Christ, the apostles, the prophets, and all took what was before them and fulfilled God's will. They didn't spend that time hoping a good day would come. Jesus did not wait for someone else to take care of Calvary. He did not hope something else would handle the moments of temptation, but he saw within the temptations an opportunity to succeed. Those of you, my black brothers and sisters, tell me how you've gotten anywhere that you did not seize upon opportunities that were before you in spite of the adversities. You didn't get it. It didn't just happen. You took the bull by the horns. Educated your children. Educated yourself at the same time. And rose to a new level. In spite of the adversities that challenged you. We've mistakenly not transmitted that into the church. Religion and Christianity and church has come to be something that benefits us. That blesses us to do well. There's no obligation of return and payback and pay up. God is depending on you because you depend upon him. And that's what grace is, the unmerited favor of God. God challenging you to do his will. Every day. My heart burns within me every day trying to meet this challenge. Yet there are many adversaries. That's a real challenge to me. How there's a great door of opportunity open to me in Ephesus, and it's so important I'm going to delay coming to Corinth because I've got to interrupt my schedule for God to take care of this now that God wants me to do. You don't own your life. 
And if you think you do, that's just how unchristian you are. This is not your world. This is God's world. This is not your breath. He cuts it off when he gets ready. The success of, the, of Jesus, of the early church and the disciples, the first century, related to their abilities and insight to seize upon opportunities that were before them. Now, who of you are going to tell me that there's not some opportunities for this church right here? At this point in your life, I know you got a thousand and one things to do, but who are you to tell God to wait? When you're dependent upon him for the privilege to do what you want to do. That's one of our weaknesses. We have a God we control. We don't understand the God that controls us. We don't even think that way. This is our world. This is our church. This is our song service. And we do what we want to do in them because it's ours. And God's fortunate to have us around. Listen to Jesus. I must work the will of him who sent me. While it is yet day. For night comes when no man can work. What Jesus is saying, I've got to seize upon the opportunity. The Messiah, the Christ child, the one who represents God, said, I must work his will while I've got the opportunity. I didn't have a hundred years to go to school. I didn't have 50 years to get married and, birth and, and, and beget children. All of that stuff comes within a frame of time. And we live as though, as though that is not going to happen. Listen to uh, the text in Acts, the 14th chapter and the 27th verse. It's showing how much we work within concepts of time. The good book says, and when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had done what? Opened the door of faith unto the Corinthians, unto the Gentiles. God in his own time Open the door of faith unto the Gentiles, and those who were leading the church had to jump through the hole. Door of opportunity open for us right here. God has given us a building that the whole city admires. I was so often have someone call me and, and mention that the great building, etc., impressed. And they asked many times. Why did, you, why did you guys build a building like that in this community? Because we were looking for the souls of men. We are a people of people. But Paul says how he had opened the door. Hear me, friends. He's opened the door here. And some of us don't want to pay the price, pay the price of going through that door of faith unto the Gentiles. 2 Corinthians 2 and 12. The writer Paul says, Furthermore, when we had come to Troas to preach the gospel, and the door was opened unto me of the Lord. God's still at work. Colossians, the fourth chapter, verses two through four, begin with verse three, perhaps, 
Whether praying also, Paul says, for us, that God would open unto us the door of utterance. What are our prayers about? What do we want God to do? What are you going to do when you find out what he wants done? Are you hoping for somebody from on high uh, to put on some magical, some majestic majesty, ma magic? Do you understand the role you are playing and the path that you're in? That God would open to us the door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. I just want God to give me the opportunity to preach the gospel, to tell the truth, to challenge evil, to write out the wrong, and be who he wants me to be in this hour. The error in this church, in this community, in this world is ours to challenge. If my children are wrong, it's my responsibility to challenge them and not condone it. My brethren are wrong, it's my responsibility. It's your responsibility, it's our responsibility to handle this day. God has placed us in this place at this time, the same time adversities come. I wish that I could just live and everything go nice. No challenges, nothing but beauty and great things, but it just doesn't work that way. And we've got to come out of the dream world of hoping and understand and deal with the reality. Paul says that God would open to us the door to speak the mystery of Christ. And he says, for which I am also in bonds. Listen to the man. Sitting up in jail talking about an opportunity. We sit at our Pancake, bacon, coffee tables, and can't have, can't wish for opportunity. And we are not satisfied that God hadn't given us two tables and a television in every room, but everybody looking at different ones. That's how we have amassed our wealth. And we feel that we are underprivileged if we don't have that. Must be striking home. That I may make manifest as I ought to speak. Distinctive in the Christian faith. Success is identified with trials and difficulties. It's a distinct aspect of the Christian faith that runs from Christ across the face of the early church and also for the Simpson Street Church of Christ. Like for Jesus at Calvary, Paul at Ephesus, and throughout his missionary journeys and opportunities were matched with adversities. And like the believers who went before us, we too must master the art of finding successful and victories in trials and in tribulations. Nor can we allow the adversities to entice us to turn away from the crown and from the faith. Paul determined that a door, hear me brethren, of opportunity How many of you face opportunities in this church and in your life that you're not taking advantage of? And as far as life is concerned, we may very well die and never seize them because we just ain't starting about them that much. The church is not something that depends on us. We depend on the church. 
But nowhere in biblical history has that been the case. Everywhere you talk about the church progressing, it was man paying the price. Not for what he can get, but what he has already received from God and allow God to express that in the quality of life that he lives out. Paul determined the door of opportunity that presented itself to him at Ephesus had to be seized upon him now. And it required him to delay his trip into Corinth where anxious, loving members awaited his arrival. Paul saw a wide door of effective opportunity and adversities that presented themselves to him at Ephesus. Let us take heart, begin burning with determination that all the good we know for God will be taken into consideration by us. And we'll process it. Because God's no more on Paul's side than he is my side. Paul may have been more on God's side than we are. And therefore he could understand the great opportunity that he has and that he had to fulfill. A wide door of effective faith, salvation. This commitment, Paul's commitment, Deepened, deepened his persuasion for Christ. In other words, the more you beat me, the more I love it. That's what you're doing. The more you try to derail me, the more I'm determined to stay on track. See, Christians have not learned that you don't win for Christ by going down the road and, and, fight, and fighting brush fires all the way down. And every time somebody hits you from the sideline, you stop the journey. You step over there and fight them for a while and come back. And you, it just doesn't happen that way. You've got to be dedicated and committed to God's purpose. And only successful people are successful. People who moan and groan and got a right to do what we call in law temporary departures. <laughs> Step off on the side. Now, my, my lawyer friends understand what I'm talking about. They, the the, 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 the uh, uh, accelerations went off in their head when I said that. Because that's a, a, a lawyer know you in that field. But temporary departure. That's what I mean by temporary departure. Truck driver going down the road, he hauling a, a load of cargo. My dear brother here, Brother uh, Golden, and uh, he's destined for South Carolina. And all he needs to do is gas up. And, uh, and, and refill all the way in. Uh, before he gets out of Georgia, he stops and visits uh, a family up there. And an accident happens while he's over there. He, he, uh, the, the company ain't really liable for that because he was on a temporary departure. <laughs> he, he departed from his mission. I call that in religion going off mission. See, uh, the, the disciples one time got so disgusted and frustrated with Jesus, Peter said, let's go fishing. Let's go off mission. See, we got too many people off mission. They come back to eat the, the bread and, 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 and watch the fragment, but they're not really with the program. So they go off mission or they go temporary departure. Like Jesus, Paul was able to transmit difficulties into opportunities like Christ. He followed, that the Christ he followed, who was able, Jesus was a master at this. Jesus was able to take the cross of shame and convert it into a symbol of triumph. We glory in the cross. Because of what Jesus did with that cross. And he empowers us. 
Believe me, sisters, he empowers us to likewise do. And he strengthens us. And the thing about it, you cannot deny it because he's already done it so many times in your life. He brought you through a lot of difficulties and he's still doing it. Impossible moments that we thought we'd never pass. But we're just really not incorporating it. And I want to see that stuff become powerful stuff in this church. That's what I'm after. I know I'm digging deep and hard for hard stuff. But it's gold down there somewhere. And that's why I keep penetrating and challenging your brain and your emotions and your ability to sacrifice and to make this one of God's greatest churches ever. And you don't make me feel bad when you don't say amen to that. Because I know I'm on an island by myself almost. Just what the adversaries at Ephesus had stood just as uh, what they had stood as, as strong opportunities. You know what I'm talking about. People tell you you can't do something and sometimes it's manifested often in our children. The more we tell them not to do something, the more they do it. And, it, <laughs> and it's something about the command not to do makes them want to do. Now, I don't understand all of that stuff, but I, I've, I've witnessed, I'd be like Fortes, one of the chief justices, one of the justices of the Supreme Court. I used to prosecute obscenity, as some of you know, and you have to fight those cases all the time. Uh, uh, explicit sex and all that stuff is showing on, on the screens. And, uh, uh, and every time we would arrest those people and try those cases, they would put up the uh, Constitution, the United States Supreme Court. Uh, a fast speech, uh, that I've got a right to say what I want to say and do what I want to do, and you can't, ch can't challenge that. Uh, and, and, and we were always challenging that. Justice Forte's case came before him, and they talked about obscenity. And uh, they wanted him to define it, and, and the court struggled with it for a while, and somewhere along the line, Justice Forte says, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. And that's what I'm saying about us. Some of this stuff you can't define. I don't know why I feel the way I feel. I don't know fully why I love my wife and don't love all other women. I don't know why I'm particularly, particularly concerned about one brother and not the other one. I can't explain it, but I know what happens. So we've got to relate to God out of what God, beyond our knowledge, is doing in our lives. Now that's heavy stuff. It calls for a free man to be able to admit it. But if you're bound up and you've got a lot of corners to turn, uh, you, you have difficulty handling that. However, we do understand that the opportunities he saw were insufficiently evident for him to delay the trip to Corinth. Now, whatever opportunities are there, he ain't in Ephesus yet. He said, but I'm going to delay in Ephesus. I remain, he was in, I'll remain here because uh, there's a great door of faith open. All of that open door, he does not see all in there. He says it's open to those things. So why are you staying here? Why do you stay in Atlanta? Why do you stay with the family? Why do you do that? Because I see in that justification for my remaining. None of us are smart enough to explain the whole of life. We're just not that wise. Otherwise, we put God out of business. That is his category. So he understood that the opportunities he saw were sufficiently evident for him to delay the trip to Corinth. Don't understand it all, but it looked good enough for me. I don't understand all that I think I see here at Simpson Street. 
but it's good enough for me to keep hollering, to keep pumping, because all these surrounding evidences point up there's something to be rejoicing about. We can't tell God I ain't going to do it till I fully understand it. These are opportunities. He also knew that the adversities, though he did not understand them all, were sufficiently clear for him to see the potential threats that they would seize the opportunities. They'll throw me off track. So therefore, I've got to be very careful about what I'm doing, Paul says. Then under any circumstances, the opportunities offered a clear enough advantage uh, for the case of Christ for Paul to call it a great door of faith, a great door of effective opportunities. So from the biblical reference, we are challenged to recognize the and seize our opportunities to justly resist the adversaries. But what are those adversaries? I think we need to look within the confines of our lives and try to draw this matter to a close. You've been a great audience and, and patient and anticipatory. I, 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 I want to point out a few things, and, and here I'm bringing back in some of the criticisms or observations. Uh, if, if criticism bothers you, forget that. But the observations uh, one of my sisters or some of my sisters made on, on my sermon, what particular things are you talking about, Brother Harrison? Uh, what are these things you say we ought to be doing we don't do? Say, so what are they, et cetera? So I'm, I'm amending my ways. Uh, I'm going to name some things today. Uh, that doors of opportunity, spiritual development, tremendous doors of opportunity. Look at 2 Peter 1, 3 through 10. He says that we are the end to our faith. Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness. He says, if these things be in you and abound. Hear me, Golden. If they be in you and abound, they make you, not allow you, they make you. That you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. Hear me, Vanya. But he that lacketh these things, Many of my brothers, as blind cannot see a pharaoh, he forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And you can't go nowhere with no church like that. A bunch of smart, lazy folk. Got all the intelligentsia. Know everything, but don't do nothing. Sometimes the biggest thing that some of us do is fight getting anything done. So look at what Peter is saying. He says to the Christians of the dispersion, buttress up your faith. Tighten it up. Knowledge. What are you doing about your knowledge? What are we doing about our knowledge? How much smarter, where are our insights today over last year? How much better member does this church have and better preacher does this church have than it had two years ago? I maintain that as long as I'm in this pulpit and the, uh, the, 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 <laughs> I thought say the presiding bishop. <laughs> to chide you all a little bit. As long as I'm, I am the minister of this church, I think regardless of my age, I think I ought to get better. Because life and age is changing. And you get where you can't keep up, sit down. Now I know you may say, that's what you told us to do. But that's just where I am. I, I, I think you got to be moving. We don't slow the pace of this world down none. It is totally revolutionizing and re-revolutionizing the changes I've seen in this world in the last 20 years. Used to be you go to school and get a BS degree degree 
And man, you a smart thing in town, especially if you came from the country like I did. We thought, we thought teachers was angels from heaven. And, and, and very few people, I can remember as a child bragging about a, a lady used to be my principal, oh, Miss Douglas. She went off to uh, NYU and, and got a, worked on her master's degree. Man, that was just out of this world for me. Now, a master's degree, why pay you no attention? It's just like it was when I grew up in the country. See a car on the road two or three times a day. That's all you got to see. <laughs> I'm telling you like it is, bro. I told you I'm going to dig deep. <laughs> yeah, like it is. And, and sit out in the yard and look down the road, and, and a new car come down the street, man. It wasn't street, the road. New car come down the street, you look at it from the time you saw it till it went on out of sight. Man, you drive up now with a Lexus, Cadillac, and two of them hooked together. Nobody pay you any attention. <laughs> Used to be, man, you get, get a new suit, everybody in town knew you. But life has changed. Life has changed. And one of our problems, we still, some of us trying to deal with women like we did 60 years ago. Oh! Man, all them women dead. You're not going to fool these women, make them think that they can't think. It's just stuff they get done. They got to be smart. They do all the thinking and make us think we thought of it. Well. <laughs> but uh, uh, we need to seek healthy encounters with uh, our fellow citizens. Those are doors of opportunity. The church where it sits, tremendous opportunity. How we treat people of the community, how we relate to them, and what our understanding is. What do we do with our children who are educated for the door of opportunity? Door of opportunity. Our children go off to college, masters, doctors, degrees, and et cetera. I'm not saying that they don't, but are we maximizing their potential for the church? What are, we, what, what, are they, what, are, what are they producing? Now, I'm going to say to you, young folk, bless your hearts, beautiful things. But I believe it is a sin for you to spend four years in college learning how to do it and don't do nothing for the church. And I believe that. You had, you had four years to think it out. I told them to put it down where you can get it. Because there's no good to talk about Paul and his adversities and opportunity. We've got to talk about us and ours. Now, God didn't send me to school to get my Ph.D., my doctor's degree, my this, my this or that. And they sit back and say, now, y'all worship me. Education is not simply a means of erudition. Raising the person himself. But it's to lift the whole of us out of ignorance and put us on a more functional and solid plane. And those of us who do not have that education or as much as, ought not be jealous one second of those who got it. And sometimes we make it hard for educators to lead us anywhere because we want to say they don't know no more than we do. That's crazy. Well, it is. Why would a person go to medical school and be just as uninformed as he went after he goes his work before he went? I wouldn't want him working on me. I wouldn't want him giving me no prescription. I've got to shift him from a position of equality to superiority. And that hurts some of us. Some of us never make it with our children because we always want them to still be young'uns. Doors of opportunity.
facing Simpson Street, take out the people of intellectualism, education, training in this church, make them stand up and ask what they're doing. Woo! I think you have the right to ask me that. I think the membership of this church has the right to expect certain things out of this pulpit. That doesn't mean you boss in the pulpit. You say, I'm looking for it. Uh, you go to the grocery store, throw it about a sack of flour, and they give you a bag of salt. You ain't ready. It ain't going to work. So how are ministers ingratiating the church? How are they enhancing it? How are our young people going to college enhancing the church? Making it a better, more informed and reliable place to be. If not, what do you, what, what do, you do that for? Because the church is a part of the whole of life. I said 50 years ago, not quite that long. I said early in my years here at Simpson Street, one of the reasons the church is no better off than it is is because we do not handle adversaries. We do not take our sons and daughters and tell them to be ministers, elders, deacons, church secretaries, all that kind of stuff that makes the church function. The one thing we tend to try to plant, plant, plant is the preacher. A preacher can't run this thing by himself. He can't, he needs that help. And as a matter of fact, the biblical picture is, I have not gotten over to this church yet, is that the primary thrust of the church is ministry. That's what it's all about. He, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? And what I want to say to you again, let's think about it. The gospel is preached and everything the church does is in support of that gospel. And it bothers me. My brethren don't seem to understand that. They, you got an office here, so my job is this office. All of that stuff goes to support of the gospel. The teacher supporting the gospel. And the reason why we can't see that, I'm still digging at this opportunity, the reason why we can't see it is because when I talk about ministry at Simpson Street, some of you tend to think about Harrison. When you talk about eldership, you think about our one, two, three elders. Therefore, you have localized the divine concept and robbed it of his entity. Ministry is a function of the church that's not owned by anybody. It's how God does his stuff. Go out and preach the gospel. Somebody obeys the gospel. They need to be taught. There your teachers fit in. But it's all about the gospel. Please hear me, brethren. It's all about the gospel. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's about the gospel. Everything this church does has to do with the gospel. Hear me, brethren, even if you don't want to. It may take you some time to put it in your boiler and cook it. Church needed looking over. Therefore, after that, you have elders in the church for the perfecting of the gospel and for teaching. And that's the reason they have to be able to teach. Now, you take your Bible, let's take it down. Now, I've studied the church itself for at least 25 or 30 years. And when you do that, you see a grand unraveling of a divine plan that you don't get when you just take the Bible and read Acts 2.38. It doesn't come out that way. But God is at work in the world, in our lives. He allows us to be participants in the plan. So all of that's done. The funds that we take up, what are they for? For the perfecting of the gospel for the preaching of the gospel, for the teaching and gaining souls and bringing them to Christ. That's what it's about. It's, not, it, 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 it's for the carrying out of the purposes of God. Those are doors of opportunity. 
that we're not taking advantage of. And I agonize with it all the time. And I don't want to put my burdens on you necessarily, but I sure want you to know I'm suffering. And it hurts when my brethren won't do it. It, it, it's painful for me to put the time of study I put in into the word and somebody walks up and says, nice sermon, go off and forget it. It's painful for my wife to put in the energy she does and yours, they do, in cooking a great meal and we just wipe our mouth and leave the table. Can't say thank you, can't say nothing. It means we do not appreciate the effort and the investment that's being made. Tremendous investment is made in the church by God according to God's plan. And it ain't to pump us up. A great door of opportunity. Brother, people are still being lost out there. I got some news for you, too. Even when we work, they're going to be lost, lost too. But we shall cut down that number by giving ourselves and making ourselves more useful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're standing at the foot of the cross, and we allow ignorance, biases, and refusals to bring us within the biblical circle. And the one thing I'd like to leave with you today with all my heart and my life is that all of this that is preached in the Bible was to people just like you and me. That's what it was there for. And God expected them to learn that and to do it, and when they didn't, they, were, they, didn't, they were condemned. I don't think we can feel safe otherwise ourselves. You are an intelligent congregation. We live in a world of intelligent people. And we have to find ways that we can best communicate the gospel effectively. Because a great door of opportunity is open to us. But there are adversaries on every side. Would you respond to the call of Christ today? Can you afford to take ideas as I have suggested them today and just consider them and ask where you are? Can you afford to take yourself to task and asking God what you can do to make things better? It may be exposure to further learning. But I said to you, whether or not we see the doors, they're still there. And God's holding us accountable for those doors. Whether or not we walk in, they are still available. And my choosing to be ignorant rather than informed won't change the obligation. I'll say this in an effort to relate to your patience. My hometown preacher, many years ago, I was still in high school had gone over to High Point, North Carolina and trying to evangelize and they got to talking to a lady who was seemingly interested in what they were talking about, the gospel. And uh, it got to start coming to the church some, being re related, relating to the gospel. And then when her eyes opened and she saw really what was there, she started backing away. And Brother L.Q. Wright kept trying to speak to her. And she finally told him, said, Preacher, I'm sorry I ever learned what you taught me. I enjoyed ignorance better than knowledge that requires me to obey. Now, that lady is not the only one guilty of that. All of us in our own ways elect to be uninformed or to, to ignore that we do know. And I think our acquisitions and what we possess and what we have gained 
prove beyond the remotest doubt that we are informed. And we can do a whole lot better than we do. And it's not a one-step change. I'm talking about the sweeping change of Jesus Christ. It comes over our whole system and our whole lives. I enjoy the opportunity of being your minister and trying to make this stuff as clear to you as I possibly can. And I'm thankful that God has given us the ability, you and me, for us to talk about tight stuff and nobody get personally offended. Because I'm not talking about you or any but what happens to us. It's always just great to see Brother Banks in here again with us today. Uh, great person. And uh, I, I appreciate the ways we're trying to reach out to this community and how we can do even a greater job. It's going to call for more backing away from ourselves in order to accomplish those objectives. I say to you as much as I say to the man who's never been baptized into Jesus Christ, now is accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. You can make a difference. You have made a difference. You're not in the world you used to be in. You may not be fully in this one, but you're not in the way you used to be. Allow that change to continue to take place as we together stand and sing our hymn of invitation. If you're here to respond to